Hello, welcome to another episode of the In Awe and Wonder podcast. I'm your host, Kristen Hamilton. So this being the third week of the month, we are going to take a look at a few martyr stories. I have chosen to talk about the Apostle Thomas and his martyr story, along with John Denley in 1555 in England. And there was another gentleman or two along with him on his travels that also came to the same fate as Mr. Denley. I'll just mention their names real quick when I tell their story. The more modern story that we're going to look at today is a 15-year-old boy named Roy Ponto, and he was martyred in 1999. So to start with the Apostle Thomas, I had no idea when I first started, well, when I made my list of who to talk about, I had no idea that the Apostle Thomas has such a widely known and, I guess, disputed death uh, of what really actually happened to him. And I didn't know he was venerated so much, I guess you could say, that he was um, honored as much as he is around the world. And so all of that I just found very interesting in my research. So I will make a side note and say that some of the stories in the Jesus Freaks book that I originally chose these martyrs from. They are written in a way that is more um, emotional or to tug on your heartstrings. And I know that's good writing because you want to engage your readers and to get them feeling certain ways. And so in a literary sense, that's good. But sometimes, especially when they're giving the stories of the apostles from the Bible, like last time, when we talked about Stephen from the Bible, and then this time with the Apostle Thomas, the stories that are written in the Jesus Freaks book, I mean, it follows what the Bible says, but it also kind of adds in some extra like emotion and probably some extra dialogue, some quotes that aren't shown in the Bible. I think just to add an extra layer or element of emotion and trying to get the reader to kind of feel what the person was feeling if they could at all and so like I didn't read Stephen's story as it is written in the Jesus Freaks book last month I just took it directly from what was said in the Bible this time I'm going to do the same thing with the Apostle Thomas I'm going to reference all the places where he's referenced in the Bible and then as for his martyr story that is not given in the Bible like Stevens was. I will just recap a little bit of what the Jesus Freaks book says happened to him. But that was, it seems to be that their account was taken from one of the Apocrypha books, which did not make it into our canon of scripture. So what I found in the research is there is a book, The Acts of Thomas, And there are some others, and they are not to be considered as holy scriptures. Some of them state certain things, and, you know, I found certain things on different websites and stuff about what people think actually happened to Thomas. 
And so I guess it's this big thing that's not really completely known. But I will talk more about some of what people think when we get to that part of the story. To start out, uh, the Apostle Thomas, he was also known as the twin. And again, there is debate on why he was possibly called the twin. Some people said it was because he looked similar to Jesus. Some of them were saying he looked similar to another apostle or whatever. So it's not really clear. Or if he was actually a twin, we don't know. And there seems to be some consensus that he was probably a carpenter, not a fisherman like some of the other apostles. He was referenced then among the apostles named as one of the 12 disciples in Matthew 10.3 and in Mark 3.18 and in Luke 6.15. So we see his name listed among the apostles that Jesus called. And then he's also named again as being present in Acts 1.13. So those passages I'm not going to read because it's just listing him among the apostles. The Gospel of John is actually where we see Thomas the most, where he's actually quoted as saying some things and can kind of get a feel for his character and what type of person that he was, at least in his beliefs in Jesus. So we're going to start in John chapter 11, verses 5 through 16. And this is the passage about the death of Lazarus. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. The end of that passage, uh, where Thomas was saying, Let us go with him, meaning with Jesus, so that they, meaning the disciples, the apostles, may die with him, meaning Jesus. The disciples at that time were worried about Jesus going back to the area of Judea because the Jews were, well, they were riled up and ready to try to get him and stone him. So uh, here we see Thomas, you know, joining with Jesus, wanting to stay with him and support him, wanting to be courageous and, you know, was acting like he would die with him. He would do anything to stay with Jesus. 
Then we go over to John chapter 14, and I'll just start at verse 1. I will read verse 1 through 7. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So here we just see Thomas being confused about what Jesus means as far as Jesus' destination and the route that he is going to take to get there. Jesus is speaking in sort of shrouded language, so it isn't straightforward. And the disciples were a bit confused and unsure of what he was talking about. So Thomas just speaks up and asks the question that was probably on most of their minds. And he kind of just wants Jesus to tell it to him straight, like, where are you going and how are you going to get there? So uh, in that way, I guess he would be just kind of a straight shooter and a frank type of person. (laughs) Okay, now we'll jump to John chapter 20. I will start at verse 19 and go through verse 29. So this is... After Jesus' resurrection, he was already crucified. His tomb was found empty. He had appeared to Mary Magdalene. And then she went and announced to the disciples that she saw the Lord. So picking up on verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So this was the passage where we get the doubting Thomas thing from, where he said he would never believe if he did not see Jesus himself and feel his nail marks and his side. So he had to see it to believe it, basically. 
And then when he did see several sources, including my study Bible, say on verse 28, that this is where he says, my Lord and my God. This is probably the clearest and simplest confession of the deity of Christ to be found in the New Testament. The two highest words for deity that are found in scripture, Lord, used in the Septuagint for the divine covenant name Yahweh, and God, are used together and addressed to Jesus in recognition of his divine glory. Jesus accepts this worship without hesitation. This is in sharp contrast to the angels who immediately refused when John mistakenly began to worship them in Revelation 19 and 22. So then the note in my study Bible then on verse 29 where Jesus said, Blessed are those who have not seen. It says, While commending Thomas's faith, Jesus blesses those who will come to believe through the witness of the disciples. The faith of those who have believed without seeing can rest securely on the eyewitness testimony of those who have not only seen with our eyes, but also touched with our hands, and who bear their witness to draw others into fellowship with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. This blessing introduces the purpose for the writing of the Gospel. So obviously nowadays for us, nobody alive now witnessed Jesus' death and resurrection. All the apostles who saw are now deceased, obviously. And so we have just the recording of the books of the Bible and the gospel message that is in those to rely on and to build our faith and belief in. And Jesus is blessing those of us who will believe without having seen or without having even interacted with an eyewitness like the apostles. And then if you were to go on into chapter 21, Jesus appears to seven of the disciples. And this passage is where those seven disciples went out into a boat to go fishing. They couldn't catch anything. And Jesus told them to put the net on the other side of the boat. And they did. And they got a truckload of fish. And then when they came back to shore, Jesus was there with a fire and fish and having breakfast and invites them to have breakfast with him. And I love that picture. When we lived up in Maine, right along the ocean, I kind of wanted to um, go out onto the beach someday. Like I wanted to prepare some fish and bread, just like Jesus had there in that passage, and just go out onto the beach and eat that and look at the water and the waves and the sun and have that for breakfast. I never actually did it, but I thought about it because I just love that picture. Here, Thomas, who is also referenced as being called the twin again, is named among those seven disciples who were present during this appearance of Jesus. Thomas is listed again in Acts 1.13, which is where the disciples were meeting again in Jerusalem, up in the upper room, and the passage is talking about how Matthias was chosen to replace Judas as one of the disciples. So Thomas is just named a as being present among the disciples at that time. And it seems, as far as I know, that that would be the last mention of Thomas in the scriptures. So moving on then to different little things I found in my research, um, it's really a quite simple and quick story to tell. But again, a lot of it is pieced together information from other writings and accounts that people have. And some of it is speculation but I'm gonna give you the best, most solid 
information here real quick and then I will explain what the Jesus Freaks book says happened to him. One side note was that he was the first person to explicitly acknowledge Jesus' divinity, which I kind of already talked about that. Many sources say that after Jesus' final ascension into heaven, the disciples got together and they basically chose or drew lots or whatever it was on which disciple or disciples were going to go into what part of the world to evangelize and establish churches. However it happened, Thomas basically got chosen or picked or volunteered, I don't know, but somehow he got placed to go to India. So he was traveling east, and there are also some accounts that even say he did travel as far as into China a little bit, but I don't know how certain that claim is. It seemed to be a little bit shaky or not mentioned in some resources. Today, Thomas, I guess, is known as the patron saint of India. Apparently, he evangelized in Parthia and then to India, and like I said, possibly over into China a little bit, but I'm not sure. But when he was in India, he established seven churches on the Malabar coast. Apparently, to this day, the Christians who are there consider themselves St. Thomas Christians, and they claim that they can trace their beginnings of their church as coming from the Apostle Thomas when he was there. What we do know for fairly certain is that Thomas was martyred by being stabbed with a spear. One source said that he was stabbed with a spear during prayer on the, quote, big hill near Madras. And most sources do agree that he was martyred in Madras, which is now Chennai, under the king of Mylapore. A couple sources said that the people who did the stabbing were angry Hindu priests who were angry about Thomas coming and evangelizing Christianity and possibly taking away some of the Hindu converts um, to Christianity or sort of him coming into their territory. And that seems like a plausible way that it happened. Sources that I found also say that his death was around 72 AD in Madras, India. What the Jesus Freaks book and the Voice of the Martyrs says is that around 70 AD, he went to Kalamina, India, where the people worshipped an image of the sun. Through the power of God, Thomas destroyed the image and put a stop to their idolatry. The sun god's priests were furious. They accused him before their king who sentenced him to be tortured with red-hot metal plates and then thrown into a glowing furnace. To the amazement of all, the fire did not hurt Thomas. He was still alive in the midst of the furnace. When the priests saw this, they were so angry, they threw spears and javelins into the furnace at him. One of the spears pierced his side. He fell there dead. I think, although I didn't read the whole excerpt from the Acts of Thomas, but I think that is what says happened to him from that source. But many other places cannot verify that he was in the furnace and not harmed or anything about the sun god worship. So all we definitely know for sure is that he was stabbed with a spear and that was how he was martyred. 
and reading some different articles and including on Wikipedia, which I know is not necessarily a credible source, but I was surprised at, like I said, how revered and venerated it seems that Thomas is to a lot of people and that he has a cathedral and there's a St. Thomas Basilica And I guess it says his remains were at some point in time taken from India and enshrined somewhere in Ortona, Italy. And just scanning through things, at one point some people donated a silver coffin or shrine type of thing to put his remains in. And it says like some Christians and even Muslims have considered it a one of the important places to go to visit in India where his remains were originally. And then it was like sometimes a pilgrimage for even Christians in China to come and visit that site. So it's just interesting things about Thomas that I never knew before. So hopefully you learned something too. Okay, so now we're going to move up a little bit in history to the 1500s and talk about John Denley in 1555 in England. And I'm going to read what is written on a website of the Berean Bible Heritage Church by Pastor Clinton McComer. So he is relating this story, and I believe his reference was from the Fox's Book of Martyrs. John Denley's story is in the Jesus Freaks book, but again, I sometimes don't necessarily like the way they write the stories. Also, this account gives a little bit more detail, um, well, quite a bit more actually, and it makes a fuller, better story for us to understand what's going on here. This site has John Denley and John Newman both together. Okay, so the article says, As with every country in the world, England has been one of the worst enemies of the little flock of the followers of Christ. One Englishman, Edmund Tyrell, was a justice of the peace in the county of Essex during the reign of Bloody Mary and is remembered in history because of his zeal in finding and having true believers in Christ executed. As Mr. Tyrell was returning from witnessing a martyrdom in Rayleigh and another one at Rockford, he happened to cross paths with two men a gentleman, John Denley, and another fellow, a pewter worker named John Newman, who were coming from Maidstone to Kent County. On June 12, 1555, Mr. Tyrell knew that the two men were Bible believers before their paths intersected. When they met each other on the road, Mr. Tyrell had them arrested on his suspicion and had them searched and found their personal statement of faith. During questioning, the men admitted that they had fled from their own country because of their faith and had been in many different countries. Mr. Tyrell suspected that these two men were very influential in spreading their beliefs wherever they went, and as such needed to be executed. While the record does not mention that John Denley was a Baptist, his statement of faith certainly indicates that he was. The following is a summary of his statement of belief. Number one, the elements of the Lord's table are not the actual body and blood of the Lord Jesus because after his crucifixion, Jesus rose from the grave and ascended into heaven from which he will come again in judgment. Number two, the elements of the Lord's table simply represent the body and blood of the Lord Jesus and the refreshment that only he can give to his followers. Christ said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will refresh you. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 
3, the body of the Lord Jesus cannot be in all places at once because his body was given the birth of the Virgin Mary and that it is in heaven at the right hand of God and so cannot be on altars tables all around the world. Furthermore, worshiping items of this world is idolatry and contrary to the scriptures. The case against the two men was reinforced by a letter that Mr. Denley had sent to those who were imprisoned for their profession of Christ. The letter was very skillfully written and full of apostolic encouragement. In it, he requested prayer for himself that he would remain true and promising to pray for them. He talked about the glories of dying for Christ and the fellowship that we have in taking a stand with those like Moses who chose to suffer rather than to enjoy the glory of Egypt. The two men were transferred to one set of commissioners who were unable to dissuade them from the truth, so they were passed along to another commissioner, Bishop Edmund Bonner of London, who was also unable, through his fatherly discretion, to dissuade the men from the truth on June 28, 1555. John Denley replied to all the bishop's arguments and persuasions by simply saying, in the end, God save me from your counsel and keep me in the mind that I am in. The men were brought into St. Paul's Church on July 1st, where their articles were read and another attempt was made to dissuade these men from the truth. At first, there were promises made to them, and then there were threatenings. The formal charges were listed below. Number one, the rejection of the belief that there is a Catholic or universal Church of Christ on the earth. Two, the rejection of the belief that the Church of England is part of a Catholic Church. Three, the rejection of the Mass, saying it is idolatry and evil and contrary to the Word of God. Four, the rejection of the confessional used in England. Number five, the rejection of the belief that priests can offer absolution. Six, the rejection of the belief that infant baptism, confirmation, and the other sacraments provide salvation. Seven, the belief that there are only two ordinances in the church that of the Lord's table and adult baptism. And number eight, the belief that since the Lord Jesus ascended up into heaven, it is not his body that is offered to people at Mass. John Denley went through each of the charges and explained from Scripture why he held those beliefs. The officials found that the men were firm in their stands and beliefs, and nothing was going to dissuade them. They were brought before the bishop on the afternoon of July 5, 1555, and condemned as heretics and turned over to the sheriffs in London. John Denley was then transferred to Uxbridge, where he was executed by burning on August 8, 1555. As he was being set in the fire and the flames burned around him, he sung a psalm. Dr. Story was present and commanded the tormentors to throw bundles of burning sticks at him. One of those bundles hit John Denley in the face, wounding him, and in reaction, John Denley put his hands over his face. Dr. Story turned to the person that had thrown that bundle and told him in jest that he had marred a good old song. On hearing that, John Denley opened his hands and continued singing until his spirit left the burning body and entered his Savior's presence. The other fellow, John Newman, was a pewter worker, and he was burned at the stake on August 31st at Saffron Walden in Essex after giving a powerful and clear testimony as to the reasons he believed God's word and took it seriously. He stood courageously and unwavering all the way to the end.
And then finally, we are going to look at a more modern story that took place in 1999. And this is a 15-year-old boy. So this especially hits home with me because our middle daughter just turned 15 last week. The boy's name is Roy Ponto, and his story is in the Jesus Freaks book, but I am going to read it off of another website called Barnabas Today. He is known for a soldier of God is ready to die for Christ. That was his quote. Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Ephesians 6.13 Young Roy was 15 years old when he bravely lost his life for Christ in Indonesia. This country has been notorious for its anti-Christian violence fueled by Islamist organizations. Roy lived in a particularly violent part of the Maluku Islands called Amban, which has seen attacks on churches and the homes of Christians and numerous killings. On the 20th of January, 1999, he was part of a 125-strong group of young people from the New Covenant Christian Church attending a Bible camp at Patamura University. When the event had come to an end, many of the young people needed transport home. Pastor Mikey Sanyakit visited a local village to find a truck to hire, and upon leaving, he and his party were attacked by a local mob. Pastor Sanyakit and his driver were killed. A short time later, the remaining youngsters were confronted by fighters from the Lascar Jihad terrorist organization at the gates of the university. Armed with machetes, spears, knives, and clubs, the fighters began hunting down the defenseless young people whose desperate attempts to hide were futile. Roy was targeted by one of the attackers, and when asked who he was, the teenager answered, a soldier of God. The attacker slashed Roy with a machete, almost severing his left arm. After being asked a second time, Roy replied with the same answer. He received a blow to his right shoulder, leaving a big gash, and this time the attacker shouted, What is God's soldier? A soldier of God is ready to die for Christ, was Roy's final answer, at which the machete flew down upon him at one last time. As he died, he screamed, Jesus! Roy's body was later discovered by his family. The last sentence of Roy's story in the Jesus Freaks book says, Even though they are racked with grief, Roy's parents stand proud of their son, who stood strong in his faith to the end. Let us close in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for these martyrs of the Christian faith, for their proclaiming the gospel and your truth, even though it cost them their lives. We thank you for creating and building and upholding your church, and we know the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We thank you for your unfailing goodness, even when bad things seem to happen around us. We pray that you will give us zeal and that in adversity we will have faith and patient endurance. We thank you for being with us, being our refuge and our strength. We pray that our freedom here, that many of us in America are experiencing to declare you and your word will remain intact. And we ask all of this in your precious holy name. Amen. This podcast is part of the Christian Podcast Community. 
If you like to listen to podcasts, you can find a whole bunch of wonderful podcasts there. There are shows for women, for men, for parenting, about entertainment, current events, apologetics, and lots of theology. So check them out. They're at podcast.strivingforeternity.org. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, my blog is www.kristen-hamilton.com. Keep reading your Bible and look for God's attributes, what verses cause you to confess any sins, and ways that you can praise God for who He is and what He's done. Thanks for listening.